0: So we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 12. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. There is no chapter 12 in 1 Timothy. So verse 12 of chapter 1 starts out by saying, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. It's always nice to start a message with thankfulness to the Lord. It's always nice to start a message thanking Jesus Christ. But here specifically he's thanking jesus christ for specific things that are happening here okay and the first thing that he's thanking jesus christ for is in verse 11 which says according to the glorious gospel of the blessed god which was committed to my trust so paul is thanking jesus christ for committing the gospel to his trust and the question in regard to this in our lives is Do we understand that this good news message, the message that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, and by grace we are saved through faith, do we understand that that message was committed to our trust? That literally, uh, that we've been commissioned with a message for the world. That this is something that's supposed to be glorified through all of our actions, through everything that comes out of our mouths. This message of God's grace. That that we literally don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve heaven. No one on earth. As Romans 3.23 tells us, that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Yet by His grace, we are saved. The message of salvation. And it's funny because we take that message upon ourselves and we could thank God for our own salvation, but do we understand that that message was committed to our trust as well? That we are called to go and proclaim that message. That our lives, our actions, and what we do are supposed to be showing the people of earth, the people here, that Jesus Christ saved us from what we were that Jesus Christ can save them from what they are that we're all the same you know it's funny uh, I work in a retirement um, community half of it's a nursing home half of it's a retirement home okay and I work with all kinds of different people some of them are Christians some of them are conservative conservative and most of them are very liberal um, just the state we live in right and that's the same as the residents some of the patients and residents there are extremely liberal some are very conservative and we have some christians right and and as i walk through and i have conversations with people i hear the conversations change throughout the the home and even more than that with with employees as i walk in i could hear from afar their conversations and they will be about horrible disgusting things but i enter the room and they instantly close their lips they don't want to talk about those things right and their whole purpose in that is is to try to stay holy in front of james but i don't care about that i don't they don't need to be holy for me i want the message of jesus christ to get to them just like it got to me, for them to understand, yeah, I'm that without Jesus. That very thing that you're doing is who I am without Jesus Christ, that he saved me, that he's changing me daily, that he's creating in me a new person every day. It's my job to show them that. But because very often what I see in Christianity is we do one of two things. We either join in with the conversation, and it looks horrible. And we're really, we're we're doing something that this section of Scripture is going to talk about. We're blaspheming the name of God. Or we walk around holier than thou, and people can't connect with us. There's no way to... to connect with people because we're we're so much different you see this gospel message was committed to us so that we could proclaim to them no i'm no different than you i'm just like you all the struggles all of the pains all the things that go on in your mind disgusting hard all the hardship that goes on in your life i i go through the same stuff but i found the answer there's a, a, a saying, it may be older than Calvary Chapel, but I've heard it for a long time in Calvary Chapel. The saying is that I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where the food is. Do we truly exhibit that type of lifestyle? That's what Paul, that's the message that Paul's trying to get across to this young pastor. And think about this. I've talked about this several times while I was teaching in 1 Timothy. Timothy was afraid. Timothy was faltering. Timothy was wanting to quit his ministry. I want to get done at Ephesus. And the message that Paul's bringing to this young man is look, just be real. Just love on people, give them the truth. Paul's saying, I thank Jesus first because he committed to my trust, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second thing he says in verse 12, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who enabled me. He enabled me. The word enable there is the word dunamis. You can almost speak it into the English language dynamite. It's power, empowered, this explosive power that he gives us for the purpose of ministry. And the question is, Is do we have that explosive power? And, and it's funny, I've talked to so many people about doing evangelism and what that looks like. And so often when you talk to people about evangelism, they think it's just going out into Bar Harbor or into Bangor or into Ellsworth when people are around and talking to them about Jesus. That's not exactly what evangelism is. I mean, that, that's part of it. Evangelism is, is a lifestyle. And to be honest with you, for me to go to to Bar Harbor and proclaim the the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, it's an amazing thing, but, but it's not my favorite type of evangelism. My favorite type of evangelism is when I meet someone at work and they're intrigued by the gospel. They don't know Jesus, but they're intrigued. And now I get to live out the gospel with them and daily walk through this thing with them so that they could understand exactly what we believe and why we believe it. And then they become believers, and now I get to disciple them or move them over to someone that could disciple them, maybe even better than I can. That's the kind of evangelism that's exciting to me because I could go and tell someone in Bar Harbor that's from, I don't know, Nigeria or something, about Jesus, and they have the message, and then they leave, and I never know what happened to them. I never know what they did with the message. I don't know if they heard it and then lost it. I, I don't know what happened. But he enables us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to be powerful with the message of God. James, I'm I'm fearful. I I don't know if I want to talk about Jesus in front of people. You need that enablement. You need that dunamis power. That only comes from the Holy Spirit. Another thing is, you probably have that, that dunamis power inside of you, because if you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. You probably don't even know it. But that Holy Spirit's sitting inside of you waiting to proclaim the message. That's his whole purpose here is to point people to Jesus Christ. And yet, you're not willing to open your mouth and let him do his work. That's like owning like a, a really amazing sports car, a Viper, or, or a you know a Supra, or something crazy, and leaving it in the garage. I know it could go. I just... Never take it out. The reality is is we need to allow the Holy Spirit to use us to speak these truths into people's lives, to, to invite people into the kingdom. So the, the second thing that Paul thanks Jesus Christ for is the enablement. And then he continues by saying, because he counted me faithful. Third thing, he counted me faithful. And that word counted there, it's a—it's an accounting term. And what it means is there was a, a debt owed and the accountant found the missing part that, that was making the debt, creating the debt, and filled it. So it's like, let's say that you were going through your finances and you saw $15,000 that was missing on your uh, your documents. Where did it go? You find it and you put it in. Or you take it from your bank account, and you put it where it belongs. He counted me faithful. This isn't based upon our works. This isn't based upon something that we do, or our actions, or our beliefs. Literally, Jesus Christ counted him faithful because of the works of Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that? That he is just and the justifier of the sinner. Of me and you. It's a beautiful thing. So he says, I'm thankful because he counted me faithful. He called me faithful. And you're going to see that Paul, like us, in his own power and his own strength, he's not faithful. But by the works of the Holy Spirit, By the grace of Jesus Christ, Paul is counted faithful. It reminds me of uh, the Hall of Faith, right? Hebrews chapter 11. And you go through and you read these huge things that these men did throughout the Old Testament. All of the faithfulness of the the saints of the Old Testament. And you read all these amazing things that they did, and yet then you go to, to Genesis and to Judges, And you read their actual lives and and things that actually happened. And you go, wow, why wasn't that in the hall of faith? It's almost like all of the bad erased. And all of the good, everything that they did by faith was exalted, was made even bigger. Because that's what God does in our lives. If we simply follow Him. If we simply cling to Him. He counted me faithful. And then the fourth thing, he says, putting me into the ministry. Putting me into the ministry. And this is a, this is a funny thing here, um, the idea of being put into the ministry. Because in our culture, in the United States, that's not quite how it works. If you want to become a pastor in most churches, not Calvary Chapel so often, Usually what you find in the pulpits of Calvary Chapel are extra drug addicts who got saved or gang members or murderers or pretty crazy people, Um, just to be honest. But usually in our culture, if you want to be a pastor, you go through school, go to a Bible college or you go to a, a school of theology and you get your bachelor's degree and then you go and you continue and you get your master's in theology or or in divinity, and then you, sometimes you get your doctor of divinity, right? And then you go and you apply for jobs, and and really you put yourself into the ministry by your knowledge, by your your skill, by your time. It's it's like a career. Paul's saying, no, he has put me into the ministry. It's not based upon my skill level. It's not based upon my knowledge. It's not based upon any of that. Jesus Christ put me into the ministry. And we, and we very often feel that we are not called or adequate to be in the ministry. I know that I often don't feel adequate. I get on this stage and I go, "Lord what, what am I doing up here?" It's a young 34-year-old boy standing in front. I, I often feel that way. But the reality is, is the Lord is the one that enables. the Lord is the one that calls, and the Lord is the one that places. And what's amazing is this word ministry doesn't mean teaching or preaching. The word means deacon. Diaconi is the word. It means servant. Service. And there are so many people that want to get up and teach and preach. Which, don't get me wrong, we know that that's a good thing. We know from 1 Timothy chapter 3 that the calling to be a bishop, that the desire to be a teaching pastor is a good thing. That I'm not saying anything about that but understand ministry is a lot more than simply teaching the bible ministry is being a servant of god if that means scrubbing toilets scrub away it's funny i i my pastor back in california um, the church i'm connected to back home he tells this story about him building the new church building which is now like i don't know 20 something years old and he's down there with a pickaxe and he's breaking ground and they're about to put in foundation for the church and a young man comes in slacks and loafers and a you know nice little sports coat and he says uh hey I, i would like to apply for a job as a pastor here and clark the pastor there says okay uh hop on now man come join me and the guy said no you don't understand i I want to apply for ministry. Clark said, yeah, no, I totally understand. Come on down in here, grab a pickaxe. Let's, let's get to work. He declined. No, I'm not interested. Ministry is not simply getting up here and teaching the Bible. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's a blessing to do that. It's an amazing thing to be able to get up here and teach. But all that said, are you willing to do whatever the Lord has called you to? Break the ground, pour the concrete, build the walls. The truth is, Paul's saying that God has counted him faithful, that God has enabled him, that God has committed the gospel to his trust, and God has made him a servant. Let's make this more real in our lives are we truly servants of one another? Do we truly think about others before ourselves? Because I talk about a servant slave. That's what the word is, servant slave. And when you think of a servant slave, it's someone that's given commands and goes and does that command. Well, we're commanded in Scripture to think about people higher than we think about ourselves, to esteem others higher than we esteem ourselves. In a culture built on self-esteem that we live in, that you need to esteem yourself highly, that's a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do because we think of ourselves so highly, yet what we should be doing is raising everyone else above us. And if we raise everyone else above us, we become servants of theirs. We take care of their needs. We tend to the things that that normally we probably wouldn't even think about. Is that really something that defines us? Paul says that he is a slave of, of Jew, Gentile, of all men. He's a servant. Why? Because he's been entrusted with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He's got a mission. He's called to something. Verse 13 says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. So he's saying the Lord has blessed me with these gifts, these four things. He's blessed me with the capability to go and proclaim his word, to live for him, to serve people, even though I was this horrible man. This horrible human. And and very often, when you talk with people who are down, who are depressed, who are struggling, what you see is they're dealing with things from their past. Paul's saying, look, I was a murderer. <laughs> I used to persecute the church. I used to destroy families. I used to lock up Christians because they proclaimed Jesus. That's who I was. I was a horrible human. Yet I gained I I gained the mercy of God, because I did it ignorantly. I, it's not like I was I was living for Christ and then I I turned and started doing these crazy things. He's saying I was in ignorance, and the truth is, all of us at one time were in ignorance. I remember sitting next to a pool with a girl I was dating. My dad had just become a Christian. He fully gave his life to Jesus, and he called me, and I was living horribly at the time. He called me and said, James, I became a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus. No, I can't lend you money anymore. No, I can't give to you anymore. And I remember sitting by this pool, wanting to drown myself, thinking, my dad has become a cultist. He goes to this crazy place called Calvary Chapel. I can't believe that man. My mind was blown by the fact that this guy just gave his life to Jesus. I thought he was crazy. I was formerly a blasphemer. I spoke horrible things of Jesus. A persecutor of believers. An insolent man. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 starts by saying, Then Saul, Paul, the man who's writing the letter we're going through here, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that he, uh, if he found anyone who were of the way, Christians, whether men of women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So you have Paul, Saul at the time, going to the high priest and asking permission, letters of permission, to go around and persecute Christians. That's who Paul was. Verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, Saul was a, a Pharisee. He was probably on the Sanhedrin. He was a zealous man for the law. He was very serious about the writing, the scriptures that he knew of. Yet he didn't have a personal relationship with God. He didn't know God in the way that you and I know God today. So he was very serious about stopping anything that would mess up Judaism, make Judaism mm, a thing of laughter, so to say. He thought Christianity was repulsive because it was changing what God had created. It really wasn't changing what God created. He just didn't know that. We're going to talk about that in a second. So Jesus comes, says, Why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So he's going to persecute Christians, the very people that represent Jesus Christ, the God that he doesn't know is the one he proclaims to, to be representing. He's doing this in ignorance. He's confused as to what the law is about. Why the Old Testament was created. Where the, what the prophets were speaking about. Yet the Lord revealed himself to Paul. Paul falls on his knees, blinded. And it's funny because he goes from persecuting Jesus to calling him Lord and asking him, "What is it that you actually want me doing?" The question is, have we reached that point in our lives? Cuz the truth, the, the truth be told, all of us in here proclaim Christianity All of us say that we follow the God of the Bible. But have we reached the point in our lives where we've had an interaction with Him that makes us fall to our knees and say, okay, no, you're Lord. You're in charge. What is it that you actually want me doing? How how do you actually want me to live this life? Has this thing become real to you? Or is it, as my friend Jeremy says, just theory? Is this something that has changed you from the inside out that's causing you to, to take action? Back to 1 Timothy. He says, I received mercy, verse 13, because I did it ignor- ignorantly and unbelief. Verse fourteen, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And as we examine this scripture, you always have to like, what is it? What grace that is he speaking of? He's speaking of those four things that we started this message with. The fact that he was committed the glorious gospel of God. That he was enabled by Jesus Christ, that he was counted faithful, and that he was put into the ministry. That is the grace that he's speaking about here. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love. He was given faith and love. And these two things need to be defining our lives as Christians. The word pistis is, is general faith. It's an it's a understanding that God is going to direct us and lead us. And love is agape. Now this one's a little different. This is a hard one because it's not natural at all. It's a love that is unconditional. To love for no reason. To be one who cares for the needs of others regardless of what they do. Wow, that's different. But he says that the grace that he received was abundant with faith and love in Christ Jesus and that's the defining term there Jesus Christ is the one that causes us to have the faith and the love that we're called to have in order to accomplish these things verse 15 this this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And now we move into Paul's understanding of himself. He says, look, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is he came here for for sinners. For those who are not righteous. Which is, you know, funny for this area, this era You had a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees running around thinking they were righteous because they were trying to fulfill the law of God. But again, like I said earlier, Romans 3.23 tells us that no one's righteous. That no one has fulfilled the complete law of God. That we're all fallen. That we all need salvation. So Jesus Christ came for sinners, for all men. But then Paul comes to a realization about himself, and he says, of which I am I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. It's funny, because you see a man go from the chief of sinners, one of the worst there is, a blasphemer of God, a murderer, someone persecuting the very church of God, persecuting Jesus Christ himself, to being like this apex Christian. <laughs> this Christian on the the hilltop, the one that everyone wants to attain to be. And Paul's saying, look, you fit somewhere in between those two. (laughs) I've been given this position so that you could see God could take the worst and make him the best. He could reach you right where you're at. And he could turn you into what he wants you to be. All you have to do is simply surrender to him. Simply turn it over to him. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter one and it's funny i've I've heard this taught. Um, many ways 1st Corinthians chapter 1 starting in verse 26 I believe here in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 Paul has um, a very he's very aware of who he actually is and when I've heard this taught by different pastors I've heard them teach because it says it starts out by saying for you know your calling brethren that not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called And I've heard many pastors say, well, yeah, Paul wasn't really talking about himself there. The the truth is, I think Paul was talking about himself. I think Paul was fully aware that that in his own power and in his own own, uh, capabilities that he wasn't uh, this mighty man of God. That he wasn't some apex man to be followed. I believe that Paul was writing about himself and saying i am not mighty i'm not wise because according to the flesh is the the you know the main thing to think about i'm not noble all all history that we have about paul says that he was this tiny little guy that wasn't really something to look upon who was blind and his voice was incredibly annoying it was super high pitched. Just hard to even listen to. It's hard to think about because I think of Paul. I think of this like super tall, good looking, you know, guy that everyone wanted to listen to. Wasn't the case. Paul turned, or uh, God turned something that was really not worthy into something beyond worth, something completely usable. He turned Paul into this you know, superstar Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know, over in, back in 1 Timothy, Paul's saying, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy of the kingdom. I really have nothing from myself to give. Yet God has entrusted me with a message. God has given me, endowed me with power to give the message. He's counted me faithful to give the message. And he's called me into service, into servanthood. Is that the way that we look at our lives? Or do we look at our lives as we're something to be worshipped? We're something to be praised. We're something to be stared at. It's funny, I was scrolling through uh, Yahoo um, I have a Yahoo account, which is really weird. Yahoo email, super old school. People laugh at me usually when I say that, but Yahoo mail. Okay. They give you all these different messages. And this one was like a bunch of men, bodybuilders all posing. Right. And I saw it and I kind of got embarrassed because I thought to myself, like how embarrassing would it be to be oiled up standing in front of thousands of people while they looked at my body that it would just be such a strange thing. And, and what popped in my head is this very message. These men actually think that they should be stared at. That they should be, uh, they, they are the model. They are the thing that people should be looking like. Yet as Christians, very often we walk around with oiled bodies, walking around saying, look at me, look how great I am. That's not the case. That's not what makes us great. What makes us great is is the spirit that's inside of us, the Savior that died for us. And it it equals the playing field. There's not a man on earth that's any different than anyone else. The most amazing thing for me is when I meet someone that is so beyond humble, and they just hang out with Jesus all the time, and it's like, man, you're just pouring out Jesus. It's intimidating. I don't want to sit with you. You scare me. Like you could see my soul, you know, like verse 16, First Timothy chapter 1. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul says, Look, I am the example. I'm the proof that this works. Because I was this horrible human. I was this disgusting man. I was a blasphemer. I was everything that is bad. And God turned me into what I am today. I'm saved by His grace. I could could give this message of Christ, even though I have an annoying, high-pitched voice. I'm the proof. Can we say that? I know what I was. I know where I was headed. I know what people thought about me. It's actually funny. When I got saved, my stepmom didn't believe that I was a Christian for two years. She's a Christian. I was a youth pastor at a church, and she was still saying, "Eh, I don't know if I believe you. I know you teach the Bible every week, but I I don't know if you're really a Christian yet. We'll see. Because I was a liar. I deceived people. I I stole from people. I stole from her and my dad. When I said I was a Christian, she was like, this is just another ploy. This is just how you get away with getting in trouble again. I know what I was. And because of that, I could say I'm the example. Jesus Christ could save anyone. Paul's saying, I was a murderer of Christians. Now I'm a spokesman of that that same Jesus. Can we say that to our coworkers? I was trash. you know it's it's funny because I've been having these conversations recently with my co-workers and I get embarrassed because all of them have like these big degrees and letters after their names and stuff. And I'm hanging out with a bunch of people who are very educated all these directors, and I'm a director of maintenance and environmental services for a company, and I'm sitting there with all these people who are super crazy intelligent with these big degrees, and I'm telling them, no, 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 you don't know me, because 13 years ago, you would have, like, kept your kids from me. You would have hid them behind your coat and walked away. I mean, I had a, you know, I was crazy. And yet, now you love me. Now you think I'm something great. It's not me. It's Jesus. And he says again in verse 16, he he says, For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who might believe who are going to believe on him for everlasting life long suffering you know i think this is something that that gets missed in christianity this is something that that seriously gets thrown to the wayside we look at galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and long suffering is a fruit of the holy spirit and that word the word long suffering it it literally in greek it means to suffer long that's that's literally what it means. Yet, how often are we getting annoyed with one another? Just, I mean, just in this church, how long, how often are we getting annoyed with one another because we feel like we have more important things to do than listen to a story? Listen to hardship. Yet Christ gave us the example of long-suffering by taking a man who was killing his body who was killing his children and making him the leader of that same body of those children. Are we willing to suffer long as Christ does? To be hurt? To struggle? To go through hardship with people? For the purpose of the gospel Because very often I tell people at work Hey, Jesus Christ loves you and He died for your sins And they give me gruff about it and Okay, fine, forget you then I'm on to the next one He says, for this reason I obtain mercy That in me first Jesus might Show all suffering as a pattern To those who are going to believe on him For everlasting life and then he goes into praise verse 17 now to the king eternal the king of ages the king from beginning to end forever immortal and invisible these two things that define who God is never dying never never losing power always there invisible he's not a physical god that you could put on your nightstand at night or over your fireplace. To God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul points the honor and the glory to the God, the Savior of his soul, who has changed him. I find so often in my life that the glory and the honor that I'm receiving, I'm I'm pointing it right at myself. I'm taking that glory and that honor. When people say good things about me, say good things about my kids, say good things about my wife, I just take it upon myself. Oh, yeah, it's good. Keep pouring it on. I love it. It makes me feel great. Paul's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. All glory. All honor to him. I don't do this for my own uh, self-righteousness. I'm not doing this for my own praise. I'm not doing this so that that I could be showered with these praises so I could feel good inside. No, I do this because I have a mission to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to get people into heaven here. I want people to know the God that I know and experience the God that I've experienced. To experience the change that's happened inside of me. I want them to have the same change. To be joyful when things are difficult. Verse 18. Now he goes into his charge, right? This charge I commit to you. What charge? The same thing God charged Paul with. To go and proclaim the gospel. To live it out to serve people, to minister to people. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. My son, my boy, I want to see you do the same thing. My two sons pop right into my head when I say my son. Azariah and Salem, I, I think about um, just how amazing my children are. In my life, how beautiful they are. It's funny, I, you know, you, most of you know I got in a car accident and I was gone for a few weeks, about three weeks. My wife was just telling me this morning, the first week I was gone, she said to Salem, my oldest, hey, daddy's not here and he's not going to be able to do the things he normally does, so if you can, not help me do some of the stuff. And she said he walked right into the door, grabbed uh, Lysol wipes and just started cleaning toilets wiping down toilets, cleaning sinks. And just this right here, this picture. My son, I just want you to follow in what the Lord's called me to do. You know, it's funny. The Lord's saying that same thing to all of us. To every single one of us. I've committed this to you. I have a desire that you show who I am to this world. And it's so sweet how he says, my son Timothy. And then he says, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Son, I love you. I'm going to show you my affection, but I want you to understand, this isn't something easy. This is warfare. This is a difficult time. This is something that's going to be a struggle for you. It's a military term. It's literally wage the good military service to fight battles, to go out and win battles for Jesus Christ. It's not usually how we look at this. Verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, having general faith, In the Lord and a good conscience. Now, here's something that distinguishes people in their capability to minister to people these two things. That I have faith that what I'm doing is for Jesus, and that I have a good conscience in what I'm doing. If I don't feel right about what I'm doing, am I going to do it to my best extent? No. If I have if I don't have faith that I'm doing this for Jesus that literally I'm doing it for you and if you guys fail me what's going to happen? Oh, I'm going to be broke. I don't I'm not going to want to do it anymore. Well then forget you. You're not happy about what I do? Well then forget it. We need to be doing these things with the faith that knowing that I'm doing this for Christ Jesus and him alone. I'm serving his people for him and have a good conscience. I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm doing this in honor and worship of my God. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. And guys, if you don't have those two things in order when you're serving, that's what's going to happen. You're going to suffer shipwreck. And it's funny, you, you read that and you go, yeah, shipwreck. No, this was a real thing to Paul. Paul was in a couple of them. Like, hey, you know when I was in that boat and it crashed and I had to swim to shore? How I had to get guys on pieces of the boat and float them over to the shore? Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. It's shipwreck. It's brokenness. It's cold, it's freezing. But I serve people, and they they don't appreciate it. Well, if it's for them, and they don't appreciate it, very often you suffer shipwreck. If it's for Jesus Christ, and they don't appreciate it, who cares? You did it for Jesus, and you know he appreciates it. He's happy. He's ecstatic, because you're serving him. Some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck of whom are Hermione's and Alexander whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And you have these two names put in scripture and I feel horrible about that because I would not want my name to go down in scripture for all of eternity as I've suffered shipwreck and been delivered over to Satan. But the truth is, Paul was willing to write down these people and call them out for what really happened. And I believe this was in grace. I believe this was in truth and gentleness. Paul did this, but he had to tell the truth about these men. These two men, they could be men from Acts. Okay, we're not going to get into it because we're already out of time. They may be two men that we see in the book of Acts. We definitely see them in 2 Timothy when he calls them both out again for the second time. But he says to to Timothy, look, here's what I'm talking about. Don't do what these men are doing. Because these men, they're suffering shipwreck, they're broken, they're cold. But then he says, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And this is a very hard concept for the church. To deliver one over to Satan. And we see this in 1 Corinthians. Paul did this there as well. For the the destruction of the flesh is what he says in 1 Corinthians. Because a young man was in sexual infidelity with his mother. Might have been his stepmom. But Paul said you need to remove that from your church because it's poisonous. It's something that's so grotesque that it could infect the church. Here, Paul's saying these men are doing something. They're they're not relying upon faith, and they don't have a good conscience in what they're doing. They needed to be removed so they don't infect the church. Secondly, they need to go experience what it feels like as a believer in Jesus outside of the church. They need to be out of the church so that they can have this poison removed from them. In 1 Corinthians, it's the destruction of the flesh. He's saying there, his flesh needs to be destroyed so that he could come back whole, fixed. And then you read 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Hey, you know that young man that was in the flesh? Bring him back in. Seems like he's he's right now. Paul says about these men, hey, I, I've delivered them over to Satan so that they can, that that in their life can be destroyed. So one day, hopefully, they could come back. It's sad because you read 2 Timothy and it wasn't destroyed. He continues to speak about these men as if they're living in this manner. Let that not be said about us. I hope that the day that someone comes to me and says, Hey James, you're doing this thing, and it's really not good, sinful. Or even, hey, James, you do this thing and it really bugs me. I hope that my heart is soft enough to say, oh, wow, I do do that. Let's change that. Let's fix that. We all have stuff in our lives. And when someone comes to me, I sure hope that I'm soft enough to go, yeah, I know I have stuff. I might not have even realized that that was one of my things that I have. Help me get through it. Help me get over it. Well, there you go. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We finished. Yay! Let's pray. Let's fellowship. You guys are welcome to stay as long as you'd like. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you that you've called us that You've empowered us, that You have a desire for us to serve You in this manner. Father, I thank You that You desire and and You give us the desire to serve others the way that You've served us. If we don't have those desires, Father, I ask that you, You give them to us by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Teach us that we need to be servants, not the served. Father, bless your church and guide us. Allow us to hold on to you with all that we have. Father, we pray that you you make us lovers as you have called us to be, unconditionally loving one another. Allow our lives to be uh, defined by grace and truth. Watch over us today, Father, for the rest of the week. We ask that you watch over Will and Lori as they travel, fly all the way to Israel. Bless their trip. Allow them to just gain an immense amount of knowledge. We all love you, and we praise you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.